Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Lindsay Markland-Clay. Lindsay is the Managing Director of TL Contracts, a specialist sourcing company in Cheshire, which is proficient in the bespoke design of interior products. Lindsay, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us. Good afternoon, thank you for having me. Good afternoon, Lindsay, and thank you for taking the time to, of course, come onto the programme and speak with me. Now, um, the purpose of these podcasts is to really gather together a variety of different perspectives on the topic of leadership. So what I'd like to understand first and foremost is really what that word leader actually means to you and how it resonates. Yeah, um, it's a great question, to be honest. Um, I think it means an awful lot of different things to different people. Um, But I would say in terms of myself, it's probably somebody who sort of sets the tone and sets the direction of their business, um, creates the ethos, um, you know, develops the brand and the products and services and really um, creates the attitude really of the whole team that work towards the the goal that the business uh, wants to achieve. I think that's a massive issue, isn't it? Of course, culture, and it is largely upon the uh, the shoulders of the leader to try and impose that um, on a uh, business and also make sure that they surround themselves with people who complement that as well. Um, yeah. If you think about your own leadership style for a moment then, Lindsay, how would you describe that? Um, I think I take probably a collaborative approach. Um, I certainly uh, don't... Uh, you know, lead from the front. I kind of lead from the middle of my business um, because I really genuinely believe that you're only ever sort of as good as the team around you. Um, and you, you can't sort of pull people um, with you. You can't push them. You've got to stand right in the middle um, and kind of, you know, really make sure that you're providing direction and encouragement um, to help people achieve their best, really. And that kind of formulates together to mean that your business is successful. Um, so I would say definitely more of a collaborative approach than anything else. I think that comes down very heavily towards people management, doesn't it? Um, that idea that you don't want to necessarily be just looming over somebody's shoulder, making sure that they're doing everything oh. correctly. It's maybe an approach which is more about letting people take on their own form of leadership and be independent and maybe also have to go beyond their comfort zone as well once or twice, because ultimately that experience is key for development, isn't it? Both as employees, but also to a degree as um, for us as leaders as well. Definitely. And I think if you recruit well, obviously you're going to cre- recruit at different levels. So you're going to recruit people that don't need handholding. You're going to recruit people um, sort of in the, the middle of the business that need encouragement and development. But again, you know, they still know their craft. And then you're going to have a small amount of people that really are going to need, you know, daily um, encouragement and daily sort of um, help and, and, you know, bringing on and growth and things like that. But um, as long as you recruit well, then you should be able to, you know, really sort of lead from the middle of that group, really. And what would you say, Lindsay, are the key things that you look for when putting together your team? Um, we're in a really niche industry and there aren't many learned skills from, you know, qualifications or um, other jobs that you can really sort of bring um, in that kind of really sort of um, would give you a head start in this industry. It is quite niche. But in terms of the, the people that I look for, um, I look for people with, um, who are really sincere, who are really honest, um, who have a desire to um, grow and develop um, the skills that they do have. 
And I, I look for people with the right attitude. Um, this industry is um, very kind of people facing and it's about creating experiences for customers. And I think if you can, if you have the right attitude, um, then you can do well in this industry. I think you're absolutely right when it comes to attitude. I think whereas you can develop certain skills in certain industries, something does have to come from within, doesn't it? A certain motivation, a certain drive. If we think about that for a moment, Lindsay, do you think that effective leaders are potentially born that way then? Or do you think it is something that people can learn to do? Um, I think some of them are born and some of them are made. Um, I think if you look at um, the real game changers of our era, the Elon Musks, you know, the Jack Dorseys, people like that, um, I would say they were natural born leaders. Um, although they stand right at the front of their companies, they are the face of their company. Obviously, they're backed by these enormous teams. Um, so they're certainly not the only person making that business work, but they are the face of it. But then I think... Um, you know, some leaders are made as well through um, either their experiences or their opportunities. Um, I think either type is valid, um, but they just come to the same place from a different journey. And would you say that you were born with certain leadership qualities, Lindsay, or do you think that's something that you've sort of developed and picked up on as you've gone through your career? Um, I think looking back, um, I think uh, some of my teachers at school will probably tell you that <laughs> I wasn't quite unreserved. Um, you know, but I think in terms of where I've got to in my business, it is a small business, but we've been going for 16 years. And I think um, the business has kind of made me really, um, rather than the other way around. So I think it's probably a mixture. Mm, that's quite interesting. And um, if we think about maybe some of the influences um, that have uh, perhaps had an impact on you as you've developed, um, is there anybody that really sticks out or do you think you've learned more just from experience? Um, I'm really lucky, actually. I'm sort of surrounded by inspiration in terms of my friends and my family. Um, I've, they're not all um, in business, um, but they've certainly been winning at life um, in terms of what they've achieved. So I, I'm kind of surrounded by some good people with that. Um, and I do, I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time making sure that, um, obviously, at the, head, at the head of a small business, that, you know, I'm not just in an echo chamber, my own echo chamber. I make sure that I look outside of that and, and look to what my peers are doing um, and that inspires me um, and that helps me you know move forward with my own personal growth as much as the business. It's really interesting as well Lindsay that you mention friends family and also colleagues to an extent there because some of the most influential people out there can be family people who are sort of uh, parent figures mentors um, in a way I suppose and sometimes when we think about leadership I think recognition for those sorts of people can fall by the wayside a bit can't it because we're tempted to associate leadership immediately with figureheads politicians celebrities sports personalities those sorts of people Um, so do you think that we do recognize good leaders uh, within business and mentor figures maybe as much as we should do? Um, I think you can take your inspiration from from anywhere. I think, um, you know, perhaps in, in years gone by, it was about, you know, how big your personality was and how big your presence was and maybe even in very recent times, how big your Twitter following is or mm. your Instagram following. But I certainly think or I certainly hope that we move towards um, a time where those things become less important and, it's about one-to-one connection. It's about making an impact on people. And you can do that with one person or you can do it with 10,000. And it's just as important. Um, it, the scale of it really doesn't matter. So I would hope that in terms of um, 
you know, the the days to come is that we take our inspiration from from those one to one relationships or those really sort of small circles of people that heavily impact our lives that maybe don't get the recognition they deserve. I think that's a very interesting point of view, uh, Lindsay. And if we think about the future generations now and those younger emerging leaders out there, if somebody were to be sat in front of you who was about to start their first day in a leadership role, what sort of advice would you give them? Um, Probably to care less about what people think of them, um, except the people that matter, of course. Um, And to be brave and to be bold. Um, The opportunity is out there. And really, all it really takes is is for you to get up and go looking for it. Um, There are so many opportunities for people these days um, to either gain skills or gain experience. I mean, as a company, we take on... um, younger staff quite regularly, um, whether that be, um, you know, graduates or even people still um, doing part of their course who want to work part time. We try to be as flexible as possible with that because we really do see the benefit of having that energy and and enthusiasm of youth in our company. Um, So I would say, you know, find a company um, similar to us um, who's willing to encourage and really invest in you um, and grab it with both hands. I think that's very sound advice indeed, Lindsay, just encouraging them not to be afraid of trying uh, new things. Um, and if we do continue to think about the uh, the future as well, before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme today, um, do give me some idea of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for TL contracts and what you hope to achieve, not just in getting through the current COVID-19 situation, of course, but also for beyond then when we begin to emerge from this pandemic. Um. I think we work on the design side of hospitality. So it's in our nature, it's our job to overcome challenges. That's what we do, whether those challenges are ergonomic or functional um, or budgetary. Those are the things that we cope with on a daily basis. So I think that we are really well placed um, as an industry to overcome the current challenge and to move forward afterwards. Um, In terms of personally for for my business, we're we're really nimble. We're going to pivot. We're going to look into um, potentially a more of a retail um, element, adding that sort of um, to our business as well. We've never worked with the public before. We've never sold to the public, but it's certainly something that we've had time to sit and consider. And um, if this period of time has given me any kind of advice, I suppose, it's been that it's actually just riskier to sit still than it is to move forward. So, um, you know, in the past, you've kind of, we've kind of been worried. We've been having a really good run at our business and, We've maybe had concerns about whether this has been the right time to change things or to adapt. But actually now the riskier thing is sitting still and doing nothing and waiting. So that's given us new impetus and new energy to kind of go out there and and really see what we can achieve now. Certainly seems as if there's a great deal of um, ambition there to um, adapt to the uh, the changing uh, market environment, Lindsay. And I think it would actually be really fascinating um, from a listener's perspective if we could, in the next few months when things start to take shape, actually have you back on the programme to catch up on how things are doing and maybe also discuss some of the initiatives that you're involved in by that point as well. Sure, definitely. That'd be lovely. Thank you. I think that would be fantastic, Lindsay. Um, it's un- unfortunate that we are just about out of time um, on today's programme. Otherwise, we could have discussed uh, perhaps um, just that more plans for the future. But I have to say, it's been a thoroughly informative and really, really enjoyable experience having you on the air with us. And thank you ever so much for taking the time to do so. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time.
Thank you, Lindsay. That was Lindsay Markland-Clay, the Managing Director of TL Contracts. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz, and that will be coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in, uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because, uh, the, the, uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength, uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is, are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they, they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Liz, you quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. 
Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day to day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. We, we <laughs> probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union. Without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here, at least, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? 
Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors uh, in terms of where the rules are made there's still there's still not some clarity about that um, you know we're, we're still uh, well we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line that's still to be negotiated I mean we've always said that actually for, for savers and investors we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after uk savers um and therefore a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for uk savers and investors and uk firms um so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um watering down regulation so we're definitely not talking about less regulation yes. what we're talking about is smarter yes. regulation which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients um and as we've got a very unique Industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation. And uh, until we see where we go to with that, uh, and of course you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same still, piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see. I think. Absolutely, um, and it will be a, a interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yeah. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA. Um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting. Um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for 
by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we, we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine, well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we... Um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe, FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process. And we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I, I know there's no such thing as a, a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if, let's imagine, let's, let's imagine you did have one, just for, the, just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I would, my number one priority to, to solve the system. In terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform, yes. you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is, gosh, yes, wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that then everybody will be will be better off great now I'm conscious of the time here this is already catching up with us so perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimford again it's what Pimford does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organizations can that really is be underestimated the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building, 
um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year uh, or has not been in a while that will determine the future all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.